Hey all, it's a conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. Uh, I tried a little bit something different this uh, this episode. Uh, I had two guests, and they were sort of huddled around one mic, so the sound quality uh, is not quite up to my normal, incredibly low standards. Uh, tried to do sort of the best I could with it to sort of balance out the volumes and bring up the volume of my guests, but, um, you know, anyway, uh, they're very, very interesting guests and have a lot of interesting things to say. Maybe takes, uh, takes about maybe five minutes of listening before your ears kind of get adjusted. Uh, I hope, uh, I hope it's not too much of a struggle because, uh, my guests were actually quite, had a lot of really interesting things to say. Okay. Gonna have another one coming up pretty shortly after this. So, uh, you know, if you feel like bailing on this interview, and I hope you don't, because my guests, as I said, have a lot of interesting things to say, but if you do feel like bailing, uh, there'll be another podcast coming up real soon. Anyway, uh, as I noted maybe a couple podcasts ago, I'll be at TAM 8, so uh, if you do see me, just come up to me and say, hi, or even better, Oh man, I thought you'd be taller. It's really okay. Alright, on with this month's show. But like I said, I think you're going to get two shows in June. Roger, out. And welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. And uh, boy, we, I think we have a first on this show. We have, uh, we have two guests. Um, you're, you're both journalists? That's right. All right. So, so we've got uh, Carolyn Shuck and uh, Michelle, Michelle Chung. That's correct. All right, good. And uh, so and where, where are you guys located in, in, in the world? I am in Santa Clara, California. Michelle is in Portland, Maine. P- Portland, Maine. Yes. Oh, okay. All right then. And s- sorry for those who you know only know like Los Angeles and San Francisco. Wh- where is where's Santa Santa Clara? Santa Clara is uh, Santa Clara is about forty miles south of San Francisco, and it's the future home of the Forty Niners. Tomorrow is oh. day. It's a very heated issue in the town right now. I guess Anjay or no Anjay, people are coming to blows about it, but um, that's how we like to advertise it. Oh, okay. All right, then. And, and Michelle, you're, you're in Portland, Maine, not to be confused with Portland, Oregon. Yes, that's the other Portland. Oh, okay. Which one's better, Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine? Let's look out now. We're about an hour north of Boston. It's like one of the most livable cities in the United States. Okay. All right, very nice. But I imagine you don't get quite as much rain as Portland, Oregon. Only a little less. All right, and and you guys are both you're, you're both journalists. Yes, um, I'll let Michelle introduce herself. Because okay, sure. Sure, I'm a journalist too, but I teach literature writing and um, mythology at the University of Southern Maine, okay. and that's what brought me to the conspiracy Oh, Okay, and and uh, and Carolyn, you you. You write for uh, you write for a weekly, or used to write for a weekly. 
write for Community Weekly, I have two journalistic identities. One is as a tech journalist. I'm the VoIP princess. And the other is as a community journalist writing for the, the Santa Clara Weekly. And that's how I found out about ConspiracyCon, and that was why I was covering it, is because it's it's been in the city of Santa Clara now for 10 years. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and so it's kind of a distinction that we have this locus of conspiracy theory here. I'm not sure what it is. I haven't mapped out the uh, pentagram or whatever it is. It's <laughs> confluence of energy. Okay. So you, uh, so bo- both of you guys attend. Did both of you guys attend uh, the conspiracy con? Yes, we did. Okay. Did you, Michelle? Did you fly all the way to yeah. Santa Clara? Um, well, I, I mean, I live five minutes away. Michelle is visiting me, so. Oh, okay, okay. So she she didn't fly there specifically to 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 cover the the, the conspiracy convention. That's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So and so what uh, now, um, uh, Carolyn? I think you probably last year you you attended the uh, conspiracy con. And uh, and I think you emailed me shortly after. Was that the first time you had attended that conspiracy con? Yes, it was, and it was uh, quite an experience because I had been going to it. I was looking for a little maybe local color kind of story, maybe some eccentrics, but I was not prepared for the level of paranoia. And it's you you go into this and. It's very strange to be in a environment where everybody has a fundamentally different model of reality than you do. And last, yeah, I just say, and they probably have a very different model of reality from each other. Like going from booth to booth or something, they all have slightly different ideas of how the world works. Utterly. <laughs> Utterly. And, you know, one of the things, too, is that um, I find it difficult to go to the sessions and sit there and listen to these people for very long, because I find it's very incoherent, um, and they start saying things that just bring out a lot of hostility in me, so I tend to leave. But Michelle and I attended the final panel discussion, where they had all ten of the speakers up front. The first interesting thing was there were ten white men, okay. all of whom seemed deeply burdened by a sense of uh, um, impending Armageddon. <laughs> yes, but uh, that they that, of victimization, and yet here, if anybody you know is who's in charge of the world, it's middle-aged white men. Right, right. And okay. This huge sense of victimization. And um, each of them, several of there were different schools of conspiracist theology there that were mutually exclusive. Um, one of the new speakers this year is Tex Mars, and um, he is a Southern Baptist, either tent revival preacher. But um, he doesn't belong to any respectable church that I discern. Because he has, uh, he's has this anti-Semitic conspiracy. Okay. Which is this 
the same old stuff. It's not anything new. It's the same old stuff, um, just rehashed in his own particular way. But he is a good speaker. But he is an evangelical fundamentalist. So he has this fundamental worldview. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, then there's someone else on the panel who says... All religions are true. All religions are passed to the truth and, and passed to enlightenment. But we all have to reach for enlightenment. Well, these are these are not viewpoints that can coexist. It's right. either or the other. And so it seemed a little uncomfortable up there um, that you know it was it was uneasy that we were all here. Because we believe in a big conspiracy, but we don't even all believe in the same conspiracy. Right. Did you did you feel they they got along, or were they uh, as much? Well, Michelle, did you want to handle this? Yeah, Michelle, what what was your feeling? Did you feel they got along, or did you feel that they were as much at each other's throats as they would be at you know uh, if they met like the director of FEMA or something? They cut each other this much courtesy. Um, if you've ever tried to get um, signatures on a petition at an election site, you know you're going to be cheek by jowl with someone else collecting petitions for the opposite thing. And yet you're extremely civil and courteous to each other because you don't want to get kicked off the premises, right? Mm-hmm. You want to keep collecting your signatures. So they grant each other um, a surface civility. What happens out in the parking lot? I don't know. <laughs> in their website warfare. But, um, yeah, the only thing they have in common, all of them, I would say, is a sense that, well, you could articulate it as, we are being lied to. <laughs> right. So a dis- distrust of the, the, quote, official story. Yeah, yeah. of all authority. Because, <laughs> you know, in, uh, in sort of creationism, you know, they, they call it sort of like the, the big tent, you know, that, that you've got young earth creationists and old earth creationists, and you've got um, oh, who's this one guy? Uh, jo- Jonathan Wells, who is a, uh, 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 a Mooney, you know, and, and he is like sort of the darling of the you know, the, the young earth creationist types, he, he, even though his actual religion, most of sort of fundamentalist Christians would, would just see him as like this bizarre, you know, member of a cult. When they got to the question and answer from the audience, uh, one man got up and asked, uh, I think his name was it David Horowitz? Sir Horowitz, yes. Right, right. David Horowitz, if he found, if, if he found any contradiction in the fact that he had accepted knighthood and that the United States Constitution prohibits American citizens from accepting titles right, right. foreign power. So I, we were waiting to hear what he had been knighted for, and it turns out that he joined the Order of St. John of the Hospital, which of course is a fraternal organization, uh, as much a knight as a knight as the Knights of Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, one of the interesting things was that they started arguing about this. But well, one, one audience member demanded that he rescind his knighthood. Right. None, nobody seemed to understand 
the King and Knight of St. John of the Hospital was like joining, it's like joining the Rotaries. It's a fraternal organization. No one seemed to have this basic information, uh, you know, very, this common knowledge. That was the first thing. And the second thing is that they were, or they got into it pretty hot about whether or not he should rescind his knighthood. Or his American citizenship. Or his American citizenship. Um, and he said, well, if he had to do one or the other, he would send his American citizenship because all his citizenship was, after all, was a symbol of his enslavement. Um, on and on and on. Now, Horowitz's issue, each of these people, of course, had their own issue. Horowitz's issue was vaccination. And so, in that sense, I regard him as a little more dangerous than mm-hmm. others because he's having a real influence on people's right, right. behavior. Woo that, woo that kills. Yes. And uh, someone got up and said he was so proud that his daughter didn't have her children vaccinated. Um, and there was a few people there who brought children uh, who, uh, who were probably not vaccinated. And, um, but as I said, this, the whole thing derailed at that point, at this discussion of Horowitz's myth, you know, purported knighthood. And it was getting more and more heated, and we had been there most of the day, and we finally got up and left. And as we were leaving the hotel, and we were walking across the street, we could hear hubbub, hubbub. Sure, it's zippy and fisticuffs, so we got out <laughs> And so I don't know, you know how far this got, but I suspect this will blow up into a full-scale schism. Schism, that's the word I'm looking for, a full-scale schism. Um, over this question. And that started me thinking about language and conspiracism um, and the fact that people who believe in these conspiracies, they, they, they like to say they spend a lot of time studying and researching. And certainly, in terms of, if you just looked at their behavior superficially, they're engaging in certainly the motions of study or research, but they're really seriously lacking fundamental knowledge of the world around them that most people who don't study, for example, uh, are aware of. And so it got me thinking about whether there was some kind of uh, processing problem here that in that just autistic people, for example, the person who process social interaction don't always work properly or at all. That there was some kind of information processing that wasn't working. So, it, it, and I'm, I'm, this is purely hypothetical. <laughs> I know of no, I mean, I have to say, I know of no research that demonstrates this at all. But to extend the hypothesis, um, because autistic people have difficulty processing, the world is a frightening place to them. And they they experience a lot of fear because they don't understand why, you know, there's the secret code that everyone seems to know except them. And the world can be a frightening place. And so if I, to extend that, to say that if you're not processing information in your brain properly, 
the world becomes a frightening place. Um, all conclusions, there's, there's no way of filtering conclusions. <laughs> um, there's, it's also very self-centered. It's all about me. Um, all of these people will tell you that someone is following them. Someone is watching them. Someone wants to stop them, which is pretty amusing because if there was a, an Illuminati and their goal was world control, obviously the thing to do would, would have been to blow up the Santa Clara Marriott over the years. <laughs> and we would have liquidated the opposition. Everybody's in the know right there. So there's, there's that aspect to it. Is Can you really believe that they're plotting to destroy you if you can go to a hotel for two days and have a meeting and no one interferes with you? I mean, how can you say you live in a totalitarian state? How can you say you're enslaved and, and oppressed and, you know, prevented from getting the message out when there you are? No one is interfering with you. Well, there's something... That connection never gets made. Um, there'll be a reason. I never asked that question, but um, I should ask it because. But I will bet you that the answer why they don't interfere with them is because they want people to think that they're free. Right. So, and this all is self, self. Uh, it's all circular reasoning. If you are arrested for something, of course, it's the government suppressing you. Mm-hmm. It's a political. It's political. If the government doesn't arrest you, it just goes to show that they are pretending that there isn't political. Right. Or, or if it's like you know, if they you know they have if they assassinate you, then then it clearly means you know you you were you were right that it's it's they're they're making a martyr out of you or something like that. They they always have a very you know a way to spin it, right? Yeah. There's there's always it always proves itself. Exactly. Um, the thing I did notice, um, one of the things I noticed last year, and so I was on the, I was attuned to it this year. Last year, I was frankly surprised to just to, you know, at the anti-Semitism, because these are hoary old canards. Mm-hmm. Um, that that there would actually be people in 2010 who would hold up the protocols of the elders of Zion as if you know there and and say that this is you know secret secret knowledge secret. there's nothing <laughs> secret about it uh, anybody could read it anywhere but that there's this secret knowledge and this idea it comes up again and again and again and it always seems to end up there. So I was surprised last year, but I wasn't surprised this year. So the first talk I went to was Tex Mars. And, um, you know, I want to tell you about a conspiracy of people who want to take over the world. (laughs) A group of Satanists who want to take over the world. Even though they're only 2% of the American population, they want to take over the world. And... So I had to sit there until we got to the end of this thought and, and told us. But I, I was... Who that they are. Right. But I was pretty certain that who they were going to be. And I was right, that they are the, quote, satanic Jews. Oh, okay. This got text into a little bit of hot water because another question that came up at the panel Sunday night was that no one will 
say you're a bigot, you're anti-Semitic, you're repeating the kind of superstitious nonsense that, if it only were nonsense, but a lot of people have been murdered in the past, you know, 1,500 years over nonsense like this. Um, but no one said that. They said, you seem anti-Semitic. So he goes into this big apology about how he's not prejudiced against anybody, he's not a racist, he's not anti-Semitic. It's just those satanic Jews. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. And it's very troubling to me that all of the people sitting there, you know, just took it. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. David Horowitz, and I, I'm not sure of his first name. So if I've oh, I, I, I think it's Le- Lenny, Lenny Horowitz. Okay, Lenny Horowitz. Even Lenny Horowitz, who he said, well, I know, I'm, what did he call himself? Uh, a Jew. Well, he's he's a Jew for Jesus. Jew for Jesus. He's, I know the text isn't anti-Semitic, and I say, but you're saying these words, don't you get right? And he's also himself standing there saying, "I'm a Jew, but I'm not a Jew." Yeah. What well, Lenny? I think. Well, I like to call him Lenny. Lenny. I think he uh, he sort of doesn't he. I don't know if at that conference, but I, I've heard him claim he's like you know like a blood descendant of basically Moses and Jesus. Like he carries the the holy bloodline within him or something. Did, did he mention that at all? Not at all. Thank you for telling me. Uh, yeah, that's, that's another interesting thing. They didn't really get it. I've never heard talk about you know the bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, but that's part of the greater picture, I'm sure. But he wasn't talking about that. Okay, but but again, you, you, I mean, you had a very good point about um, you know these guys, all these conspiracy theorists. It's all kind of it's all about them, right? You know, and and I mean, so here's Lenny, who you know. Pretty much the Messiah, you know, he's almost laying claim to being a descendant of the Messiah. I mean, that's a very good, that's a very good observation that you know that it's all about them. Or it's like the uh, like you know the UFO abductee people. You know, you're just uh, you know you're just a farmer, or you don't just a very have a very sort of prosaic job. But for some reason, you know, the space aliens have chosen you to give you this incredibly important message. You know, uh, well, here's, you know, the formula to free energy or cure cancer. No, 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 no. No, it's actually the, you know, we should all just get along and love each other, right? You know? I mean, I came into conspiracy con, look, as an, well, you know, from a mythologist and an urban folklorist standpoint. Oh, okay. It surprised me, because really, those are hotbeds for hearing what's the latest urban folklore. Right. That's where you're going to find it. Um, what, what, what form is the old wine taking? What new bottles is it showing up in? Right, yes. So it doesn't surprise me that the protocols of the elders of Zion have come around for a reprise. Um, and it doesn't... It, it doesn't surprise me that they're the same old narrative plots, a very basic one that explains to human beings why, well, the catechism would put it as, why did God make you? That explains what human beings' purpose in the universe is, that securely puts us, or at least the people who are in on the special knowledge that these guys purvey, and I use the word guys advisedly, um, that puts us securely at the center of a caring universe, or the opposite, but at any rate, a universe 
controlled by powers that vitally care about which side we're on and who gets to claim us. All of those things are what mythology and folklore stories deal with. These are really basic human questions. That's why they continue to um, grab people's attention and why some people, and in all stories, the reader or the individual we are the heroes in our own narratives and all other things including the universe are just supporting cast and characters what's really important is what happens to you and conspiracy thinking meets that it matches that pattern right, right. so I'm not, I'm not shocked when I go and sit in there I'm more interested in what forms is it taking now What's the new name for this old thing that appears in 57 million other stories? There, I mean, there was sort of one classic, you know, sort of um, you know, folklore tale about like the, uh, you know, like maybe like, like the, the guy who grinds travelers into sausages. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah. 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 And so, oh, go ahead. Well, like this story about Theseus and the enemy. Oh, okay. Everyone who comes down the pipe gets grabbed by some kind of monstrous or villainous figure who mutilates them. Okay, yeah. Because well, there was that, what was the, um, was it Jan Harold von Brumvond or something like that? The guy who wrote a lot of those urban legend books. Have, did you ever read any of those? Okay, because he he has sort of the point, like sort of like you know the uh, you know the, uh, the you know the guy who grinds people in the sausage and how it's sort of mutated and now it's kind of like you know the Kentucky Fried Rat or something like that. He he sort of had an interesting idea about all these almost tales from the Middle Ages that have just kind of continued and are now in other forms. With modern modern um, items and objects and settings and characters. Um, and older stories than that as well. They're just retold in trappings that fit the time and what you But the concerns are the same, you know, which are going to basically fears, worries, um, things that we need to be reassured about. Right, right. Like our, our food is tainted or, um, you know, our, our, our women are at risk or something like that. Always. Always, yeah. <laughs> yes, always, always. That's the, that's another interesting thing. Why are Earth women so irresistible to space aliens? Because space space alien men, as they're portrayed anyway, aren't irresistible to me. I'm not. Yeah, I have to I'm, say, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not dying to you know go to bed with a guy with, with no a nose. And- <laughs> you know, and and you know. Who, who makes strange electronic noises? Uh, so it's or uh, even another species. You know, I I don't have sexual fantasies about uh, rabbits or something. Chewbacca, come on. Oh right, or yeah, Chewbacca. that's right. But what is it? Why there is a there is a heavy sexual component. If you've ever oh, heard, well, that's easy. Yeah. Women are um are supposed to think they need to be protected from um personal space invading aliens. Yeah. Because that distracts us from the fact that we have to be protected from men. <laughs> ah, very clever, yes. So, Michelle, what you were saying about, uh, right, right, like, you know, you know, 
that these stories sort of distract you know women from you know the idea that you know actually we probably you know they probably have to be protected from certain men you know there was there was a recent study um i think it was like elks or something where you know elks would signal female elks like you know don't go that way there's something dangerous over there even though there wasn't anything dangerous over there and yeah every single time the female elk would kind of buy it you know and then sort of stay around the the elk male who is you know warning you know warning um the female elk which then sort of let them you know breed or something so so you know yeah i mean there there is sort of an interesting component there that that maybe these you know these stories it's like you know i i know what you have to worry about you know stick stick with me kid kind of thing right well they were decisive right i would say that men outnumbered women three to one oh yeah and um a lot of uh one of the things points that was brought up was that there was no one on the panel talking about um, the role of women. Ritual sexual abuse. What? What is it? Mind control. Mind control always seems to be used with sex. mind control and sexual abuse. Think Trilby. Think Bengali. That's their mesmer. Yeah, and um, that was a concern that this this was an important subject that hadn't been addressed. Um, Kathy O'Brien has been a speaker. Is I, are you familiar with her? No. Um, well, uh, Kathy O'Brien is a recovering, a recovering MK Ultra sex slave. That's her story. And um, why you know, like all of these stories, there's this. It's it's just unbelievable. If only simply because you couldn't possibly. There's nobody alive now who could possibly have been sexually abused by Harry Truman and Bill Clinton. That, you know, the, the, just the, the mere matter of years. And yet this is her contention that, that she was brought up from the womb practically as a sex slave for the CIA. Gee, talk about necromancy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. And, and um, she had spoken, but she wasn't there this time. Um, and that wasn't a topic that was addressed. I'd say, if anything, this is was kind of this panel was much tamer than last year. Last year's panel had a couple of really, really um, hostile, angry people. Anthony Hilder, who is a rape, you know, he raves, and Webster Tarpley, another sort of raver, and. They're they're very they're they have they're very hostile. They 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 have big personalities. They have a big negative charisma. Um, there wasn't anybody like that. There wasn't anybody. The the most negative charisma. I mean, that's the word I have to use is negative charisma. Was Lenny Horowitz. Right. Uh, I guess I'm talking about demagoguery. Um. But it it wasn't as hostile or angry. Uh, last there were there were fewer people this year, I think, than last year. But last year, I left seriously wondering um, how long it was going to be before some of these people got guns. <laughs> I did wonder about this year. Um, they seem to be, you know, at the end of any kind of particular tirade, they, someone would say yes. But you know how we have to make change. We have to make change by voting. 
by voting the bums out and voting in the right candidates. Mm-hmm. Three is a big advance over the, you know, um, let's burn everything down because it's all corrupt. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, um, I was going to say, um, you know, it like it, it seems to me that the sort of prevailing conspiracy changes with. Uh, the president in power, like uh, like when Clinton was in power, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between the conspiracies under Obama with the conspiracies under Clinton. Whereas the conspiracies with Bush, you, you're saying very angry people, like like people seem very very angry under under Bush, and it wasn't. It was more like um, more sort of left leaning people seem very angry. So you had this, you know. You know the whole nine eleven truther movement. They, they, they were very, very angry people, and and with under under Obama and uh, Clinton, wasn't quite wasn't quite ang- angry like this palpable an- anger, but more of sort of a uh, like paranoia. W- what would you guys say about that? Yeah, well, the truth is that it's coming to the it's a given that September 11th is not what we were told it was. It's, uh, so we don't really, they, we don't have to cover that ground anymore. It's like the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. Mm-hmm. We don't have to discuss the theology of that. Uh, there's the, the 9-11, which, as I said, it's a given that it's not what we were told. Either the government blew it up or they let Al-Qaeda blow it up. But I think most people tend, most of these people tend towards the uh, belief that it was blown up by this very complicated conspiracy that planted explosives all over the building. But if that's a given. It's a given that our food is poisonous. Mm-hmm. Can you give some more examples of the things that were sort of givens that they weren't really talking about, they were just understood. They were the point of departure, so to speak. Well, more deeply and philosophically, it's a given that we are engaged in some kind of major spiritual as well as physical battle for the universe between good and evil forces. That human beings, at some one past point, were perfect. Then there was a catastrophic intervention of some kind, and it could be anything from craters caused by asteroids or um, the Anunnaki miscegenating with us. Trans-species is always a big thing. One of the big attractions. And, um, or for whatever reason, we are tragically divided beings. Um, all messed up. We somehow got off on some kind of wrong track and have been yanked off our original purpose and course and that all of human history after that is us seeking a way back to this original perfection. There are people in exile and um, deeply alienated from the world we live in and even against our own physical natures. And um, this, and also, the, if you buy into that, you follow that we're evolving. That some secret, some select few are lucky enough to be clued in to through access to Gnostic knowledge that not everyone can be trusted with <laughs> and um, evolve into these better human beings who are nearing perfection. 
and that this moment right now, whatever that moment is, 1,000, 2010, tomorrow, whenever, um, is a crisis point in this struggle. We're coming up on something very soon. Those are all gifts. Right, and that, that the world, that something cataclysmic is going to it's happen in right. 2012. And is how the, we behave will set yeah. the scale. Right, right. and right. that's a given. Uh, and eat it, raw food, don't eat raw okay. food. Right. And the other interesting thing, too, that we observed there was that, um, well, energy is a big deal right now, especially looking at the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there were several people at the exhibit with, uh, you know, um, what, you know, anti-gravity machines and um, perpetual motion perpetual machine. motion yeah. machines, you know, energy from nothing machines. And... Um, and of course, there was the usual pathway of raw foodists and cancer cures, and and um, and, and superfoods and spiritually charged water. <laughs> and, um, yeah, various forms of Yes, and at, at the panel at the end, uh, Michael Tessarian spoke about his friend. I'm trying to remember what his name is. But Gunderberg. Gunderberg. Ted, Ted Gunderberg. Ted Gunderson. Oh, Ted Gunderson. That was yeah. it. Ted Gunderson, who has cancer. And, you know, the poor man has very, it's, it's profound. It's fantastic cancer. It's apparently all over his body. He had to have his bladder removed. Oh, Jesus. It's an appalling thing. But here's the guy sitting in front of all the people who are talking about how there is, you know, this, the cure for cancer has been hidden from us. The pharmaceutical, um, they have a, what do they call them, pharmaceutical? They, there's a name for the, 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 far, the big yeah. pharmaceutical conspiracy, is hiding the cure for cancer from us so they can sell us all this expensive chemotherapy. Well, and then he's saying, you know, he's in the hospital, he had to have surgery, he's very ill, uh, and, you know, I hope everyone will, will uh, they don't say, you know, remember him in their prayers, but we'll write to him and send money if you can. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was kind of surprising, because he's 81, and <laughs> 82, he must he, have Medicare. He spoke most bitterly at the moment, one, when the hospital got his clutches on him. Yeah. And then when it was determined that they had to take remove the bladder, he spoke of this as completely unnecessary. And the great, you know, real, real dark bitterness is in, well, how do you expect someone will do without a bladder? And I'm thinking, of course, with that bladder, you will die. Evidently, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to, but you're 82 years old on the other hand. That's right. But he was not at all reconciled. This was a man who was not going to go gentle into that good night or let his friend do it either. He was so... He was speaking as if mortality itself were some vile insult to human beings. And that struck me as interesting. Because, again, it's one of these big refusals with a a fundamental fact of existence. Right. Yeah, and Carolyn and I were discussing earlier how this is basically you've got this worldview that's very medieval sounding of, you know, man at the center of the universe, and we being the point purpose of it all, 
and the sort of existentialist view that you know looks like I want to just stand up and just scream. <laughs> I'm going to die. You're all mortal. Get over it. A really good line I heard once is that um, about gossip. Goss, you know, gossip was the, uh, the the currency of early civilization when we were sort of very tribal nature. That 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 gossip was a form of currency. That people who had you know the gossip were were very valuable. Um, for you know, for example, you know. If I had a lot of gossip, you know, I would know who, you know, who's going to run away in battle. You know, who is most likely to share their food? Who's most likely not to share their food? That kind of stuff. Um, any thoughts how that might apply to, you know, conspir- people who hold conspiracies? Um, I, would, I would suggest this. I think, and I've, I've read about, you know, I've read about this in the neurobiologists. Okay. I, I, I can't. What? My locker stock. Right. That's my husband. <laughs> Hello. This is lot. We have the food locker stocked up for World War Three, and we're ready. Okay. <laughs> and I am sorry. Anyway, um. I'm on your. No, um, Sajid Kumar, I think his name is. Um. Let me just, I'll look it up while we're talking. But the point is that his, he has a hypothesis uh, about dopamine levels in the brain and conspiracism. And his hypothesis, apparently there's been a lot of research into dopamine activity, dopamine receptors, dopamine activity, and schizophrenia. Okay. And his theory is that because dopamine is a neurotransmitter that helps us to make connections between things like who's likely to give me food and who's not likely, or who's likely to be a help to me if I need it, or who's, who don't I want, you know, watching my back because he's likely to run away. That, that's dopamine that helps us to form those connections, that if there are insufficient dopamine receptors or if there are, the levels of dopamine are too high, and I am probably grossly oversimplifying this, because it's not, nothing is nearly so simple, not in the human brain. But if there is too much dopamine, you're making too many connections. Uh-huh. You're finding too many connections. You're finding, oh, I walk out on the street, and there's a man in a suit. Obviously, he must be watching. Yeah. Obviously, he must have been waiting there. Which is, I mean, that's the process we do reason. You know, we walk out, we see somebody. Um, we're we are processing that piece of information, but we say, well, I'm, you know, we don't think about it normally. If every day we walked out, we saw that same man in a brown suit, then we'd start making connections. Well, if you have, the theory is, if you have too much dopamine at work, that. You become a real yeah. sucker for post hoc ergo propter hoc. Right. 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 Um, let me see if I can find the researcher's name. Um, yeah, so. I'm, I'm looking. You, you see connections where most people wouldn't. And, and, and so that. Uh, you know, and connections along the. Well, Lincoln's name and Kennedy have the same number of letters. Right, right, right. It starts right, to mean right. something to you. Right. Uh, it glows with a 
with a significant luminous glow. <laughs> right. Uh, what I'm going to do is I will, um, I'm going to just write down his name here for you. It's Shajit Kumar. Okay. Okay. And he, um, if you Google him, you'll find it. it, is there, it there's an article in Psychology Today, and there's also a video of a lecture he gave about five years ago on this, which is quite detailed. Uh, so, is it, it? Nothing's that simple, but I think there's something about it. So that the brain is overworking. Michael Shermer is the editor of Skeptic Magazine. His theory is that we're designed to make connections, but we're not very good at discerning valid ones from invalid ones. And as long as the invalid ones don't kill us, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. So it. You know, if, if I think that the man in the brown suit walking down the street when I leave my house for work is watching me, it doesn't really change my ability to function uh, or to reproduce, more to the point. Um, however, behavior that had a negative consequence, like if I, you know, realize, if I decided that that man in the brown suit had to be killed... And that resulted in my going to jail or being hung. All men in brown suits must now be killed. That probably would have a negative consequence for me, and so maybe natural selection and and that would select (laughs) against that. But as long as it doesn't affect my ability, say, to make a living or make now, if I decided that the bank is in the pay of the man in the brown suit, and I can't give them, you know, I can't pay my mortgage because. Then they'll get my, uh, I don't know, my bank account and steal all my money. Um, if it, it inhibits my functioning, then it has some kind of negative consequence. But as long as there's no negative consequence, we can go through life uh, believing any number of things. Right, right. right. That's Shermer's uh, hypothesis about it. I think there's, you know, I'm not a neurobiologist. I think that you can look at it culturally. Another person... Um, Jeff Pasley, I'm going to break that one down for you, too. Jeff Pasley teaches a course at the University of Missouri on American conspiracism. And so his view is that it's a historical thing that comes out of the Enlightenment, um, in a sense, because the Enlightenment was all about finding the real reason for the scientific method. And And conspiracists make a big deal of talking about proof and evidence and reasoning and, you know, they, they use all of those words. They just don't do those things. <laughs> they, have, they have part of the equation, which is there's a reason why things happen, but their way of, their way of finding the explanation is faulty. So, as I said, Pasley's view is that it, there's a, a, um, a sociological or a political, historical and political component. Um, and that a lot of these conspiracies about Freemasonry have been around, well, predate the United States. Right, right. Um, this, the Masons, made, Freemasons were a very, very popular in organization in the 18th century. And I, they, they, because this was an age of skepticism and people were leaving traditional religion as su- superstition, that 
organizations, fraternal organizations, associations like Freemasons or the Rosicrucians or any number of the Odd Fellows would take on the ceremonies of religion right, right. Um, and invent mytho- and invent histories for themselves. And the, the Masons, as, as I understand it, that the whole notion that the Masons are defended from the Knights Templar is something that the Masons themselves invented in the 18th century. Um, so, of course, of course, they do all these things because they deliberately adopted these this mythology, if you will. So, that again... Like any politician in a campaign, they knew the narrative was the important thing. You have to have a good story. Yes, yes. You know, the, um, like, like a- atheists, you know, one of the, th- like a lot of people who were religious and then sort of become atheists, you know, one thing they sort of say is they, they missed the, uh, you know, they missed the sort of the community and the fellowship that they experienced at, at church. Even if they didn't believe, they no longer believe in God, they, they, they sort of missed that. So it's actually sort of a good point that, um, you know, that, 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 when people sort of it, like the you were seeing the Enlightenment, when people are sort of maybe leaving, you know, Catholicism or or, or sort of mainline or Church of England or something like that, that but they still wanted the fellowship, right? Sure. And they still need to have the way that that we are not in the day-to-day life, that we, are, we can be in another place, psychologically, spiritually. Um, but because I, because I see the importance of preserving a tradition doesn't mean that I, I'm going to be a believer like a like someone in the 8th century. I can't be an 8th century person. Um, I'm a 21st century person, and I must, there's no other way I can think or be or understand reality except as a 21st century person. Uh, so I, I would say that a lot of people find my religion, my religiosity, incomprehensible because at the same time, I will insist on being very traditional in church. I will be saying there are things. The notion of taking the book of Genesis literally is just not, how could you even possibly discuss that? I mean, that's like saying I'm going to take, um, uh, um, I'm going out of my head, uh, David Copperfield. Right, right, right. Yeah. As history. Um, You know, David Copperfield may reflect a lot of truth about the world, about Dickens' world, or about his life or about relationships, but it's not history. And um, there's a... I, it's maybe very hard to live in that place. It's maybe very hard to accept a lack of certainty, to accept the possibility that there may be no reason. Right, right. There may be, the universe may be in a personal place. I don't happen to believe that, but nevertheless... I, that's a real possibility. And I think for some people, 
Um, anything is better than facing that void. Mm-hmm. Anything, believing that you are at the mercy of demonic powers is better than believing that nothing out there cares what becomes of you. Right, so right. The things that happen to you have no significance in me. You know, they're accidental. Right. If you, can, if you can sort of collect up all the randomness in life and and sort of personify it in, you know, um, Obama or, uh, you know, the, the guy who runs the Freemasons, you know, that person you can fight, right? And, and, and if you can fight that person and destroy that person, then you don't have a problem anymore. Right. I, I am now going to have to think about spirits and deities, the randomness, happenstance. <laughs> Inconsequentiality and um, you know the god of shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would like to steal that line. The god of shit happens. Somewhere I'm sure there are several. Yeah. I would also like to say one thing about the conference. That was the Saturday night speaker, Mister Lobo of Cinema Insomnia, and I'm going to send you that and it, I, you probably remember the creature features mm-hmm. of those Zachary creature features. Yeah. Well, it's a similar thing. Um, his show is not just horror movies. His any kind of cult movie is of interest to him, and he has a, a sort of Rod Serling esque persona. Um, his show is syndicated on TV in some places, and it's also on the internet. And he shows these movies with his commentary, which is very witty. And so he premiered a new series that he was putting out, which are mysteries. And he found this cult, what would you call it? This cult film from the 70s called Alternative it's 3. Called science uh, Words. Right, yes. Right. So it was a British kind of TV yes. show or sort of TV movie or something. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. And, um, he introduces it and um, inter, you know, breaks the docu- the mockie documentary up to you know give his commentary and explore possible implications and connections. Right, and now we know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. I just think <laughs> it finally yeah. explains that the mystery. big secret that they're hiding. Yeah, Jimmy Hoffa is masterminding <laughs> human comedy <laughs> on Mars. <laughs> yes. So it's a bit, a little bit dated. This. Uh. <laughs> oh no, I, 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 the Jimmy Hoffa part's not in there. No, that was we, my joke. Oh, but. oh, oh sorry. <laughs> and we don't know who they they skirted the question of who these select human beings were, but right. they're up. Right now, waiting for you know the last bus load, the last bus from Earth. <laughs> well, you know that we three, at least, and probably everyone listening, um, are going to be stuck here to die with the very with the sheeple, the sheeple. Yeah, yes. Um, but it, first, it was 1977, which was before the Blair Witch Project. It's very much that kind of film. And it was quite good, and he was very entertaining. I interviewed him, and we talked about uh, his his personal background and how he got interested in films. But that was definitely worthwhile, and I definitely recommend Cinema Insomnia to anybody who likes cult movies or old horror flicks. 
Uh, he has quite a collection up there, and he runs a loop, so you can watch. There will always be um, at least one movie that you can watch online. Okay. So okay. I definitely recommend Cinema Insomnia. And I was the last year they had George and Murray. Um, certainly, they didn't have him this year, whether it was a matter of money or not. But that was it. Was a good speaker, and Brian Hall, who puts it on, um, had he's a good businessman. He has a good sense of putting something on that people are willing to pay for. <laughs> I'm not sure I would pay for it, but you know, people are willing to pay for it. And I will say. I spent some money at the exhibit. I didn't spend it on David Icke's books, but I spent it on, I have to tell you, conspiracy trading cards. <laughs> like fluoride. And what were some well, of the Well, they're like baseball cards. Yeah. Um, you need to collect the whole set. And each card represents something people feel, you know, feel there's um, conspiratorial, malefic purpose behind, like, Vaccines, fluoride. Um, oh, just yeah. I'll, I'll, oh, GMO food. Of course, some of these things are real threats. Yeah. Um, and some they date from the earliest days to the latest thing. And I don't know if you have the whole set, you can put them on the entire every spoke of your back bike wheel. I <laughs> have a conspiracy. Uh, there's fluoride chemtrails, depopulation, Imminent. food. Yes. THC. THC, which we're going to be voting on that in California, too. The World Trade Center, false flag operations, and vaccines, you know, with a big no. Of course. Symbol. And you can get the conspiracy cards. If you go to conspiracycon.com, actually, if you go to conspiracycards.com, you can get yourself a set of conspiracy cards. And, and there is no bubble gum. There is no bubble gum because, of course, bubble gum has, what, artificial color in it or something? It's that pink powder on it. Right. Watch it. Right. Um, so I, I don't know if the people who make them, the artist who did, did this, um, if he did it humorously or not, or seriously, oh. but I thought they were pretty witty, and I have a number of friends who all want their own sets of conspiracy cards. Um, I got my son a flying saucer with a hologram in it, and I got my husband a tie with aliens. So uh, selling this stuff is worthwhile. I, they certainly got their money worth out of me. <laughs> nice. I mean, they... Um, and you could have a tarot card reading, or you could have get advice from the angels. Um you can, have your, you can have your aura read. Your aura read. Were, or you could have someone um, heal you with sounds by, well, I don't know what you call oh. that, a gigantic shofar like instrument, <laughs> the horn of which would be placed on your diaphragm and then you'd be played on or through, however it works, <laughs> um, for about 10 minutes. Goodness. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they, there was plenty of that. And, of course, and it's interesting, too, is the there were people, you know, from the old, you know, the guy with the, the plain mimeograph pamphlet right. about um, the gold standard and fiat money and why yeah. the income tax is illegal. The John Birch Society was there, although they don't call themselves the John Birch Society. But they do pass out a really helpful poster to show... Who belongs to what organization? 
Council of Foreign Relations and who's in the Bilderberger group and yeah. who's in who are the love and Illuminati families. So you can sort of see it's the whole sort of, thing. Yeah, it sort of mock it imitates the atomic table. Yeah. And and you can see, you know, where all these people are, where who they are. What their valence is, so to speak. <laughs> Um, and and the, uh, then of course David Ike, um, the people with various kinds of healing jewelry. That was interesting too because the jewelry was pretty, but it was kind of overpriced because they weren't just selling pretty. I mean, these weren't just earrings. These were earrings that were going to balance your chakra, or earrings that were going to lower your blood pressure. Yeah, or or make you arthritis through magnetism. Yes. Um. So, um, and I, I've seen, see, I've seen too many B-horror movies that involve someone putting on a medallion or a pendant of some kind, and it then, you know, either attaches itself to their muscle, to their tissue, <laughs> or it turns them into a zombie, or, you know. Where you end up, yeah, splayed out on an altar in an abandoned cathedral <laughs> somewhere. Where? With a conclave of people around you getting ready to to dig in. Right. <laughs> so I, I was I was sort of nervous about buying any. But and as I said, this is a complete spectrum and it, it strikes me that but they all get along because they they do all accept the same basic premise. Um of you know, we we all understand. It's like if you had if you had a, a bunch of Protestant sects in a room. You know, right. they're all arguing about different definitions of grace, but they still all agree on this basic presupposition about grace. Okay. But they're they'll be arguing. That's about, the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Michelle, did you have something to add? No. Yeah. Oh. oh. Right now, anyway. Okay. All right. I just thought we we could maybe wrap up and. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Hey, do you, do you know Do you know my final question? No. What is it? Oh, okay. Well, my final question is: uh, I like to ask my guests, "What's your favorite small kitchen appliance?" Uh, so, Carolyn, what's your What's your favorite small kitchen appliance? My husband says a can opener. Okay, that's a good one. He means a beer can opener. <laughs> I don't cook for him very often. But I would say my favorite appliance, even though I don't use it an awful lot, is my red KitchenAid mixer. Oh, okay. Uh, I just love it being there on the counter. Like the big sort of stand-up mixer with the two little beater yeah. things? Right, and it's it's red, and it's, you know, uh, uh, I just love seeing it there, even if I don't use it that often. Brings back memories, yes. Yeah, yeah. And Michelle, what's your favorite small kitchen appliance? My favorite small kitchen appliance evokes the a Greek crater and the sacrificial cup like communion chalice. It is the cocktail shaker. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to refer to the cocktail shaker. By the way, um, I tried one of my drinks, um, which was basically a, a gin gimlet oh, yes. with a shot of Jägermeister. I asked for it with a shot of absinthe because I really feel absinthe is a much more conspiratorial liquor. Wait, let, 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 let me just sort of point out to the listeners. You actually sort of mailed me a list of uh, – you, you, you invented a bunch of conspiracy-themed mixed like, I, cocktails? Yes, I got out of bed on Saturday morning. 
And it just came to me that there had to be some drinks, and there had to be some rules for these drinks. Right, yes. And um, and that's how I got there. The, what, the conspiracy con drink, the sort of drink for the conference specifically, was made of green things so that it would be that same green color they have on their website. Right, they, okay. And the aliens are. But I... So I was in the bar in the Marriott, and I asked to do this. I said, I'd like a chin gimlet with a shot of absinthe in it, or a splash of absinthe. And they didn't have absinthe, they didn't have Pernod, but they did have Jägermeister. Mm-hmm. So I, so, and I have to tell you, a gin gimlet with a Jägermeister uh, Meister is, it's very good. Uh, the bartender and the manager both agree that it was a good drink, so I will offer that up. Put a splash of Jägermeister or absinthe in your gin gym where it's very nice. Okay, great. Well, uh, um, Carolyn and Michelle, thanks thanks, thanks for coming on and sharing. Uh, I mean, uh, how, how many days was this conference? And what I'm going to do is I'm sending you um, the link to my blog where I did... Um, I did two posts, and if people go back to June 2009, they can read about ConspiracyCon 9. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. Four parts. Yeah, two two years of Conspiracy Cons. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Okay, all right then. So, yeah, so I mean, definitely come back on next year and see again how it you know the conspiracy thing has changed because it's actually kind of interesting you know that it's sort of that the, the tempo has changed or the tenor has changed you know just over one year okay. I'd like to thank you and um, just reassure you that we lived to tell the tale you did yes <laughs> well yeah Enjoyed it, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Carolyn and Michelle. Okay, have a, have, have a good night there. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.